Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to So You Want to Be in Ministry. I'm Tim, and we are all about educating you if you're thinking about jumping into ministry, equipping you if you're already in ministry, and encouraging you if you're going through a rough season and you're thinking about jumping out. I'm going to add a fourth uh, because this has been happening on the, on the sidelines, and there's been uh, many of you that aren't in ministry and aren't really looking to get into ministry, but you are finding this interesting to help your pastor or your church staff. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to add a fourth E, and I'm going to go, we're all about empowering you to help your church staff get to the finish line that God has for them, because that is what we want to see. We want to see them get into the finish line that God has put in front of them. And we do that in, in so many conversations and resources. And today's no different. We've got Jonathan Brocious today. He, uh, in my opinion, he has the weirdest position within the American church. And that is the campus pastor. It is also my role. And it is a unique role. It is very interesting. Um, it's a little bit different than anything else I've ever done. And uh, he tends to agree. He's a great guy. He has a great heart. Little backstory of how we met. Um, he actually went to college with my cousin. Didn't know that when we met. But uh, we met because my car literally broke down in a uh, parking lot of a store that was next door to their church. I went over to just try to get some help. And next thing you know, made a lifelong friend. So, and I get to interview him today. So, so glad he was here today. He has actually has his own podcast. He has a passion for prayer. He has a passion to see people just fall in love with Jesus. We'll talk more about that in the interview and after the interview. So if you're interested in finding out more about that podcast, we'll talk about it after the interview. Let's get into it. Here's Jonathan. Well, hey, Jonathan, glad to have you here on the podcast today, man. It's good to, good to have you. Tim, it's awesome to be here. I love what you're doing with this podcast, and thanks for asking. Yeah, no problem, man. So we met, we've known each other for about like five, six years, maybe, something like that. Yeah, I met you pretty early on in my campus pastoring career through kind of a chance incident, and then we wound up going to lunch and then comparing notes. I'm like, you're a campus pastor? I didn't know they made others of those. <laughs> that is how I was, too. So I'll just give the quick backstory since you brought it up. My The battery on my car died outside of Menards, which is across the street from your church, basically. And my, right. my wife was like, why don't you just go over to the church and see if somebody will help? I'm like, all right. Well, then you're like the worship pastor there at the time or something. Just like, you should talk to our campus pastor if you're a campus. And so that's that's kind of how it yeah. happened. Yeah, he sent yeah. me an email with your phone number or something. And then I I can't remember if I called you or you called me or I don't remember exactly how it happened. But then we wound up going to lunch and comparing notes. And then yeah. we've talked ever since. So <laughs> yep. we'll continue it today. Yeah, we will. And uh, because uh, the campus pastor is a really weird position. So, yes. Um, yes. But before we kind of get into some of that, why don't you tell us how did you become a campus pastor? Like, give us some of the backstory how you got there. Oh, gosh, Tim, my career is just all over the place. Like, if I had to sit down right now and write a resume, I just, I'd really rather go grate my nails with cheese graters. <laughs> like, I just have no, anyway, my, so my career, uh, let's see. Well, I've had a, you know, I grew up in church, grew up in a Christian family. Um, I've loved Jesus ever since I was a, a small child and um, wanted to be used by him, which my grandfather was in ministry for 
um, a long time, he started a Christian radio station actually in Pennsylvania in the 1980s. And so I, I was probably 16 years old and my grandfather took an interest in me and wanted to start kind of grooming me to become the next person to take over this radio ministry. We had two radio stations and and so I would start spending summers, time in the, during the summers. And then when I, once I went to college, I actually studied Christian radio at Cedarville University. Okay. So I studied uh, electronic media, they called it. So audio, video, all that sort of thing. Worked in the student radio station. Everything in my life was kind of pointed towards the, the Christian radio thing. And so graduated from Cedarville and immediately, like two weeks later, went to work for my grandparents at this Christian radio station in Pennsylvania. And uh, so I'm doing that and doing a little bit of everything. So I'm on the air a little bit. I'm writing computer software a little bit, all that sort of raising funds, all that. It, It was a very small operation. So I'm doing a little bit of everything. Yep. And so we're cruising through that and uh, the relationship between me and my grandfather started to hit the skids pretty hard. And that was a, uh, that was a real heartbreak, to be honest. That was pretty tough. That was, that was a difficult one. There was some, some recovery work that needed to be done after that. But anyway, I remember we had to have a conversation where I indicated that we needed to to part ways. And he said, well, if you're not going to take it, then, I'm not exactly sure what to do. And so there was, there was just a real period of a lot of question marks right there. And it was, it was tough on everybody. It was tough on my grandfather and my grandmother and me and my family and um, wound up uh, another guy that had worked for the radio station for a while. He stepped up to the plate and I wound up working for Tim. His name's Tim also (laughs) Uh, wound up working for Tim for a couple of years and uh but then things just were still financially they were tough johanna and i were early in our marriage there was a lot of work that we needed to do there and so we were thinking about moving out to the midwest which is where johanna's from she's from this little town of newton illinois little farm town i'm in i mean it's i think our population sign says 2900 there's probably nine thousand people in the whole county uh and and so we were thinking about trying to move back out here anyway to get closer to her family and kind of rebuild and then her mom got sick uh with with cancer and so that kind of just sealed the deal for us and so we were packing our bags trying to figure out how to get out here um i wound up getting a job in it so i was working as a network tech for this company that would basically go around to companies that were too small to have their own it guys so i was doing everything from installing your desktop printer to installing servers and switches and creating VPNs for companies with multiple locations. I mean, you all over the place. I was, had to learn how to do all that stuff. And I loved it, you know, because we moved back out here and I felt like I was finally making money, you know, (laughs) nobody goes into ministry for the fantastic pay. Right. Yeah. Um, So I was finally making some money and uh, there was just a, a, about two, three years there of peace. And so Johanna and I were rebuilding things, getting our feet back under us from just the tough time that we had there. Her mom did wind up passing away from the cancer, um, which left us with Johanna's sister living with us also. Uh, she has uh, 
Well, they used to call it Asperger's. I don't even remember what the correct term for that is this now. Um, but anyway, so she's got that going on and, uh, and she's a real, she's a real blessing to us, but anyway, so we are, we're in the middle of all that and, uh, going back to the church that Johanna had grown up in, which is the church where your car broke down. That was the church where your battery died. <laughs> New Hope Church there in Effingham, right across yeah. from Menards. Yeah. Um, that hey, was the church I... we got married in. I mean, Van Brooks is a senior pastor there for close to 30 years. And, um, one day I'm just sitting there in my office in, uh, in Robinson, Illinois, and I get this email to my work email from Pastor Van's assistant. Her name is Jane Golden. And she says, Van would like to take you out to lunch. And I'm like, what? Like, what? Do you know when the senior pastor wants to go out to lunch with you and you're, uh, you're just an average congregation member? You're sitting there and you're like, either what did I do wrong or what, <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. I don't understand what's what happening. What prompted right now, this? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand this. And so we went out to lunch and we go to this barbecue place and I'm like, what is up? This is not like a normal thing where Van just wants to go out to lunch with me. What, what's his agenda? And he starts talking about, and I knew that they were interested in starting a multi-site campus. They had no multi-site campuses other than, you know, they just had their one location and they were wanting to go multi-site and their first spot that they wanted to start a multi-site campus was here in this little town in Newton, Illinois. And so they knew I lived there and I knew that that was kind of in the works, but I didn't. And Johanna and I had even had some conversations about that mm-hmm. where it's like, well, maybe that's how we kind of get back into ministry. Maybe Johanna could run the kids. I can keep working and making the money for us in the IT field, but you can be, we can be really involved and really help this effort. Like that'd be really cool to be a part of that, you know? And so he's talking to him and he starts talking about how they're going to need to find a campus pastor. And this is what they're going to be looking for in a campus pastor. And honestly, my stomach just sinks, you know, I just, I'm just going, I know exactly where this conversation is headed. (sighs) (laughs) And it just, I knew it meant going back into ministry. I knew it meant. I knew what it meant. I was, yeah. I went in eyes wide open. Yeah. You know, you, I knew you weren't sitting there going like a giddy, you know, all giddy, like, yeah, I'm the guy you're going, I know what all of this means. <laughs> exactly. I, I was so honored because I mean, it, it's a, it's a significant honor to be mm-hmm. asked to lead something, yeah. you know? And, 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 and so I was very, very, um, I'm losing the word, but, you know, just honored that they would think of me. But I knew ministry, not just from the radio station ministry, but growing up in church all my life, I've been through, you know, my parents have been through significant church conflicts, watched a couple churches just fall apart as my dad was an elder. So right there in the midst of all of the chaos and the mud throwing and the pain, like I've seen all of that. Um, Then even when I was in radio ministry, one of the things that I would do is bring pastors from the area into the studio and record them doing a short little thing on the radio station. And, and we'd wind up talking probably, you know, we'd hit off on the record button and then wind up talking for 20, 25 minutes. And you just hear 
all the stories, all of the, all the crazy stories. I've heard all of them. So yes, I knew exactly. Well, I didn't know exactly what I was getting into, but I knew the difficult thing that church leadership is. And, uh, but walking away from that lunch, I mean, I told Van that I needed to talk to my wife and pray, but I didn't need to talk to my wife or pray. About it. <laughs> like I knew, and I did talk to my wife and I did pray just to clarify, but I knew I needed to say yes. I wow. I, I thought you were going to say no. So like, I thought you were walking away going, I know, I know it's a no, so I don't need to pray or talk to my wife, but you were actually in the opposite direction. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I knew that I needed to say yes. It was one of those, okay. th- one of those gut feelings where it's just like, I have to do this. Like, this is what God has next for me. Plus the weird thing was God had been walking, working on my wife for about a year before this and had just been, she says, every time I read the Bible, every time I'm praying, I feel like God is saying to get ready. Mm. And so then my question was, well, get ready for what? She goes, I don't know. And I thought, well, I don't know how to get ready then. So what do you want me to do? I I guess we'll find out when it comes. And then that happened and I go to lunch and Van ruined my life. So (laughs) I tell him that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was the beginning of it. And I mean, we could, we could talk about whatever you want on, on that aspect, but that was the beginning of starting this campus and we did it all wrong. (laughs) We did it all wrong. And I mean, story after story that was seven years ago that was in 2016 yeah um and i'll be honest well no it was 2015 so it was 2015 when he took me to lunch and asked me all of that um and i said yes and then it took us about another 10 months or so to get the building finalized and to actually get the campus launched and that's when i actually left my job in the it world Yep. Uh, which my bosses at the at the IT company were so gracious. They knew what was going on, gave me a bunch of time even to go. Like I took one day a week off and was coming out here to work at the church. Just And then uh, and then I kind of gave them like a six months notice, like, hey, we're going to be launching this campus in six months. And so we yep. picked up my last day. So they were incredible. Like that made me so scared was how do I be honest with these guys? Because I didn't want to hide that I was leaving but I also didn't want to, um, you know, say it too early and then just have no job while we're waiting for this campus to get built. So that was a crazy period, but God provided through that too. So let's go into some of this. So let's just talk about the campus pastor position first, and then we'll talk about some of the church aspects, because I think we both have unique things about our multi-site that are very similar, but on the campus pastor side, it's a, weird unique position within Mm -hmm. the local church (laughs) like it's yes it's pretty weird i think it's also like people are still trying to wrap their brains around it like i don't know if this is true for you in your small town but in my small town people people make a comment and they they just don't know they don't understand but they'll make a comment from time to time where they're like well when are you guys going to get a pastor and i'm i'm like i i am the pastor and they're like oh so like you preach every week i'm like no so you're not yeah. the pastor. Yes. I'm the, so like, what are some of the, the weird dynamics that you've caught in being a campus pastor? Like, what are some of those weird things? The best way 
I would describe it. Because, you know, a lot of people kind of look at you funny when they find out that you're a pastor and you don't preach every week. Yeah. And you're not a youth pastor. Yeah. And you're not a worship pastor. Yeah. So what do you do all day <laughs> is, is a large part of the question. And for a long time, I didn't really have a great answer for that. I knew that my calendar was pretty darn full. Yeah. But I didn't always know how to explain it to people. I think the best way to explain it is I am the main connection between this little gathering here in Newton, Illinois, and the rest of everything that New Hope is doing, whether that's in the main location of Effingham or even in the new location we launched a couple of years ago or last year at Shelbyville. Mm-hmm. It's like I am the main pipeline for everything that's coming, whether that's here's what we're going to do with children's ministry, or here's what we're going to do with, you know, I'm communicating all of that to my staff. I'm communicating that to my lead volunteers. I am segueing from the service here into the video sermon, then back out of the video sermon. Then there's just pastoral ministry on top of that, whether that's helping the person whose marriage is falling apart or whatever. I think Andy Stanley said it one time to one of his campus pastors too, You look around your campus and anything that you see that you're not proud of as the campus pastor, it's your job to figure out how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Like you, I I just own this campus. So there's just, that sounds so arrogant, but the responsibility for the campus Mm -hmm. falls on me. And uh, so one way that I've said it is a campus pastor has to be a really good number two. Like you have to be a good second chair leader because you have to be willing to follow the authority over you in the context of the entire church. Yes. You also have to be a pretty good number one and sit in the first chair because on your campus, they are all looking to you to lead. And so you also, it's this weird, like I'm, I'm a second chair. I'm also not, I'm then I'm kind of both. And you kind of have to jump in and out of it all the time. Yes. You nailed it on the head. And then a significant portion of my time, I know yours too, Tim, we've, we've talked about this is spent driving to the other campus (laughs) And then sitting in meetings so that you know what's going on. You help make some of those decisions. And then I'm the voice. So I'm the voice of Newton when I'm over there at the main campus in Effingham. So I'm speaking on behalf of Newton. I'm saying, hey, that's not going to work for my campus. Or, hey, I think we should do this this way for my campus. Um, And then when I come back over here to Newton, I'm the voice of Effingham. And I'm saying, this is the way that we're leading our church. And this is the way that we are going everybody get on board. And so you kind of have to just jump back and forth between those two (laughs) roles quite a bit. And um, so so I'm responsible for the culture here and staying on board with what the church is doing as a whole. Yeah, I agree with that. So we both have this dynamic within our multi-site where our broadcast campus is pretty heavily suburban or or Mm -hmm. mainly, you know, there's a lot, there's a suburban feel to it. But our campus is definitely rural in nature. So you even said, you, you said a, cu- a couple of minutes ago, like we did everything wrong. Was some of the things that you had to figure out is how do we do a ministry in a rural setting versus a suburban setting? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I was in a meeting early on and they're going, October's like the best time for events because the weather's perfect. Everybody's back in their normal swing of the school schedule and the routine. 
and all this other sort of stuff. So I thought, okay, great. Let's plan this big event for October, plan this big old event for October and nobody shows yep. because they're all in a tractor harvesting their field. And it's like, yep. got it, got it. Like this is, this is a different thing. So yeah, 100% we did. It, it is different. And then I don't know if it's rural versus suburban. I mean, there is definitely some of that. Okay. But then also just a smaller group of people mm -hmm. versus a larger group of people. Uh -huh. Completely different dynamics. You have to lead differently. You have to influence differently. Okay. I can get away with some things, honestly, because it's a smaller group of people that the big campus can't. And I'll just say, well, I'm just going to say it this way and do it this way. And, <laughs> and the people in the staff meeting are going, you can do that. You don't have to send out 16 emails and try to have, you know, yeah. you don't have like, they're much slower sometimes to pivot yep. or turn than I, than I can be just because I can call my key leaders say, Hey, this is what we're doing. And we get to shift directions so much faster. Yeah. There's a lot of time. What, what's cool is in, in, uh, I've noticed this in our, uh, context is, Sometimes I, I'm the guinea pig because we can adjust and shift quicker. And so yeah. it's like, we're going to try this. If it doesn't work, we can quickly shift back. And sometimes it's Edwardsville because they are bigger. They can do it and, and nobody feels it as much because it's just so big. And so they're like, yeah. we're going to try it. And no one's really going to even feel it. And if it doesn't work, you don't have to worry about it. So like, I like that aspect of multi-site. But then there's also the balancing act of, okay, so uh, let me, I'll just give you an example. This okay. summer, one of the issues we're facing, you know, the, the bigger campus, they have enough children and enough volunteers that they need to break down their kids' ages to pretty small little classrooms. Mm -hmm. So every year has a different classroom in the kids' mm -hmm. ministry. So if you're not quite one-year-old, you're in the baby's room, one-year-old room, two-year-old room. And then they've even grown so much that they've had to subdivide that even sometimes just to get volunteer numbers and kids and all that other sort of stuff yep. down. Whereas I'm dealing with probably 16 to 20, maybe 25 on a really big Sunday kids in my K through fifth mm -hmm. age range. Yep. Well, that's broken down into probably five or six classrooms over at the main campus Whereas it's summertime here, everybody's on vacation, uh, volunteer numbers are down, and we're like combining classrooms and trying to figure out how do we take this curriculum that came from Effingham and make it work for a broader age range with fewer children. And it just requires some thinking on your feet and it requires some willingness to, to break out of the box a little bit. And that's just one thing where it's like, okay, we've got to lead through this a little bit differently while still somehow staying in sync with what the big church is doing how do we manage that dynamic and how do we how do we get through that so i'm in yep. constant communication with the kids person in effingham and my kids person here and they're in communication with each other also but then i need to know what's going on so i can anyway it's a whole thing you yep. know and so that's a whole thing that you got to manage and you're not in your head like yep i get it yep i get we, it we, and everyone else yeah. like nobody like unless you're a campus pastor <laughs> It's just such a weird thing that uh, I wonder sometimes, Tim, this is a thought I've had. I wonder okay. sometimes if corporate America has had to fight this more than uh, people in a ministry setting. That's because a good, 
Yeah, like, so you're making a decision in Chicago, but it doesn't work in Houston, that type of thing? Well, Chicago and Houston are even closer because they're still both big cities. Okay. But I'm talking about, like, even franchise restaurants. I'm sure okay. they look different in a big city than they do in a small one. But yeah. there's Dairy Queens everywhere. So how do you and, – and I know each restaurant does it very differently as far as how much power – the franchise owner has and all this sort of thing. And I think churches wind up doing the same thing. I, so I agree with that. So that goes to autonomy. Like some restaurants will, yeah. will give each franchise a lot of autonomy. Like you can opt into certain sales or, or uh, commercial type things and you can opt out. Um, others are just like, no, like they're all corporately run. You do what we do. Everybody does it. So on the autonomy scale, maybe that's a good place to go. Where would uh, where would New Hope be? Like, how much? Like, what does autonomy look like for you and Newton, or as a campus pastor? That's a little bit of a tough question to answer because it I always is. <laughs> it always is. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a little because I haven't campus pastored anywhere else. So okay. all I know. So is... let me ask you this then. Sure. How much freedom do you feel? Because I'm, it seems just from our conversation, it seems like you have they trust you. Um, yes. Yeah. So how did you earn that freedom, or how did they give you that freedom? And then what does that freedom look like in in your autonomy? The best way I can probably say it is, I'm so. <laughs> this is just my personality too. Yeah. Uh, I've always been kind of a rule follower. I'm a one on the Enneagram. I'm very black and white person. Yep. Yep. I, uh, there have been times in my life where I've asked forgiveness rather than permission, but I try to keep those very, very few and yeah. would rather let people know what I'm doing on the front end. And that has paid off huge dividends for me in multi-site ministry. Yeah. So because I, they trust me because they know what's going on here at Newton. If it's different than what's going on in Effingham, they knew about it before I started doing it. Yeah, I'm not just kind of going rogue. I feel like the campus pastor position would be a very easy one if you had the wrong person in there for the guy to just drive the entire campus off a cliff. Super easy to just say, you know what? They don't know what they're doing over there. Let's start our own church even. I mean, that's a really it's extreme example. Very easy to do that. Yes. And so um, I'd say to anybody that's thinking about starting a multi-site, make sure you have someone that you would trust with your life in that position. Because he, I mean, it's interesting the the, the people in my church, even though we have a video sermon going on, when stuff hits the fan, they're calling me mm -hmm. and they're coming to me with things. Usually. I mean, sometimes they'll head over to the other campus, but usually they're coming to me. And so there needs to be a, a lockstep relationship between that campus pastor and the leadership over at the main campus so that they, they can trust me implicitly. And I've really worked hard to not ever violate that trust so um, if we need to do something differently than the way the main campus is doing it i just go hey guys this is the way we need to do things and so we gotta we gotta do it this way 
you know? Yeah. And, right. and for the most part, that's received. Sometimes there's pushback. Sometimes there's, no, Jonathan, we really need you to try it. And so then we try it. And sometimes I've been wrong and they were right. And sometimes I've been right and they were wrong. I mean, it goes both ways. Yep. And so humility is huge. Openness is huge. And then that's just a tension that you're going to manage the entire time you call yourself a multi-site church. Yes. That is just because we even really, really worked on it about a year or two after Newton launched, we realized we've got to figure this out. And so several people kind of got together on what we call the VIP, very important project team. And they even went to other multi-site churches. They went to the church in Quincy, Illinois, and then one in Iowa. I think it was Prairie Lakes and Crossroads were the names of the churches. I don't, and, and just started kind of investigating how do they do multi-site? How much and we found out that there is a huge spectrum. So there's churches mm -hmm. where the main office is dictating every single thing. So they're picking all the songs in the worship service. They're picking uh, everything about the building. They're picking all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. They're picking, and, and the job of the campus pastor is to execute the vision of the main office. Then there are other churches where multi-site means, yeah, we have a video sermon, but then other than that, you're doing whatever you want as a group. It, I mean, there's some where it's not even a video sermon. It's just, it's like, we have the same name, but that's about it. Like we have the yeah. same DNA, maybe like uh, ecclesiological structure, but that other than that, we're doing whatever we're making all the decisions here. Yeah. There's some yeah. of that too. Yeah. So there's a huge gamut. I would say, now again, I have not walked in the shoes of another campus pastor and I've not campus pastored anywhere else. So this is me just saying it. I have quite a bit of autonomy. Mm -hmm. So I can make a lot of decisions. I just do everything I can to let them know what I'm doing so that it's not a shock. And then, but, but I mean, we do have a video sermon um we play the same style of worship music we're not necessarily going to play the same songs every week uh youth ministry we're using the same curriculum kids ministry we're using the same curriculum we use the same branding for a lot of things when they're doing baptisms we're doing baptisms you know we open up the opportunity for baptism on the same sundays yeah. when they're doing communion we do communion um so we so that kind of makes a lot an awful lot. That's kind of where a lot of the things are where it's like, okay, we're stronger if we do these things together. But then there's other things like, for example, I'm looking out my window right now. I've got a huge pallet of stuff out my window. We just ordered a playground equipment. Okay. I got to completely pick that. I managed that entire project. I got volunteers from my church to come out and do the yard work to level the ground. My, uh, my assistant, She's awesome at researching and figuring things out. She picked the playground equipment we wanted. You know, there's been very little direction or input other than, hey, I'm going to do this. Are you all okay with it? And they're like, yeah, you can do that. And so now I'm just running that project. I have complete autonomy over that project. So Does that I, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say I, I'm in a similar boat. And so if you are, if you're in a campus pastor role looking at, hey, I might be interested in something like that. I'm also an Enneagram one. I yeah. also feel the weight of, I, I have that tension of, I want to follow rules, but I also want to help people. So I have a little bit of that. I, I tend to lean towards the two, not the nine. So I tend to, it's because I care for my people more than I want peace. Um, and so uh, I have some of that. 
but I do the same thing. So this is the lesson I would, if you want just two campus pastors' opinions, uh, the lesson that I would learn from us and what we're saying is keep them informed. Communicate very early, communicate very often. And then yeah. it, if you do have to course correct, so there has there have been moments like on a Sunday where I'm just like, we can't do this. We got to do that. Like, it was just obvious. This is going to go very badly. We have to switch right now. Yeah. I I quickly communicate that we course corrected. And so, yeah. so they're not hearing it from somebody else where it's like, they didn't do that. Like, I want them to hear, hey, I had to change this because of this. We'll talk about yeah. it this week. And so and so I get trusted a lot too. We're We're in the middle of a building project. And really, like, uh, my, my lead pastor has just basically gone like, I mean, yeah, I trust you, Tim. So like, just, if you need, if you need feedback, keep us informed, whatever. But like, I'm heavily driving the ship on the, like, we're on a multi-million dollar project. So, yes, but I've earned that over seven years. So, yeah. yes. And, and if you are looking at a campus pastor position, that's probably some of the, I heard you talking with, uh, your guest, Tim Drury. Okay. earlier on the podcast and you were saying how can you tell if there's grace in the church it's probably <laughs> a similar process okay. to try to figure out if there's autonomy in a church okay. you know because it really depends on personality to some degree too yep. i've got i've got people in leadership over me that are very trusting the philosophy of our church has always been find good people yep. find people that are experts in what they're going to do and then let them do their jobs. Yeah. And so, but if you have someone that's very much wanting to hold the reins of control very tightly in leadership, I don't think the campus pastor job would be a very fun one to have underneath somebody like that, I, personally. I would even go flip it too. <laughs> I agree with that, but I would flip it too and say if the campus pastor was that role, the multi-site church is not gonna have fun in, in a yeah. multi-site setting either because they're going to be like man they just they will not like follow they, they do they have any humility are they teachable like they just don't listen it doesn't seem like yeah yes 100 percent. that's the truth and so if you're looking at a campus pastor role or if you're looking for someone for a campus pastor role yeah, you need to you need to be able to trust them with your children. <laughs> like, would I leave my children at their house? And, you know, would I feel comfortable that they would inform me of everything that happened with my kids and and all of that? Because that's essentially what you're doing. You're entrusting a large portion of your sheep, a large portion of your flock to this person to lead them and to shepherd them. But you're not getting to see them and how they're doing it every week because you're at your other campus or you're at your other location. And so that's a, that's a funny dynamic. So trust is huge. Humility is huge. Willingness to give up control is huge. Willingness to be corrected. Willingness to change. Flexibility, huge. Um, so those are my big things. Yeah, so everybody's going to be running to sign up to be a campus pastor. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not trying to make it sound like I hate my job. No, I don't. I love every, my job. Everything you said is true, though. Like that's what I mean. Like it is a, it is a, it's a weighty role because you're a lead pastor, but you're not. And so there's this, there's just a, there is a weekly, at least a weekly tension of making decisions and also following decisions that you have to, you just got to keep a pulse on. Yeah. 
It's interesting because I hang out with other pastors. As far as I know, there are no other multi-site churches in my little town. Every other church is a uh, more traditional non-multi-site church. So it's just a single location. <clears throat> so I go hang out with these guys every once in a while, go have lunch or whatever. We're all friends. They're, they're great guys in my town. Mm-hmm. And uh, start talking with them. And there are huge advantages to being multi-site. There are huge disadvantages to being multi-site. Give, so, give, yeah, give me two advantages, and then we'll go to disadvantages. Okay, so two advantages. I don't have to mess with budget at all. I don't have to worry about, you know, the way we run finances in our church. Um, it all kind of goes into one big pot and then we make our budgets at the beginning of the year as to how much everybody's spending so i am not sitting there fretting over what the offering is every week i should probably pay more attention to it than i do but i'm not paying attention to that really at all tim if i'm being honest that that statement in itself tells you how much stress it's causing you (laughs) the fact that you're not even i don't know what we yeah it's yeah i could not tell you what our offering was last week not a clue not not a clue um, and so, you know, Effingham handles all of that paperwork, all of the, oh, receipts and keeping, balancing our bank accounts and keeping track of all of that. That's not on me. Yep. So I don't have to worry about that at all. Uh, another huge advantage is there are things we are able to do. My, my, the people in my church get to participate in things on a scale that would not be possible if I was just pastoring this church by myself. So yep. tomorrow we're participating, the, all three campuses are gathering together and we're doing this two day youth conference. Okay. So I'm super excited about it. There's 19 kids from my campus, uh, you know, sixth through 12th grade that are headed over to this, to this youth conference. But there's 140 kids total between all three campuses that are participating in this. Mm-hmm. And the level of worship that we're going to be able to do at this thing, the level of speaking that's going to be at this thing. If it was just me trying to do this with 19 kids, I, w- I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd have to be looking up like a CIY or a something like that to take my kids to. Um, but we get to do it and we get to make it. I got to have a, I got to have a creative voice in what this conference looks like because I'm part of the planning committee for it and all this other sort of thing. And so I get to take my kids out there and participate in this awesome thing that I would never in a million years be able to pull off with my size of church. Yep. I agree. I agree with both of those. So I have a little bit more hand in the budget. So we, we, we do an overall umbrella and then we do a sub umbrella. That's my campus. So on a financial level, that would be a little bit different. Um, But then we also get to participate. Like I get the benefit of they're going to do some big weekend or whatever, and I get to be lumped in. I'll give one other advantage that I get is uh, we get to pull. I have a wider base of if we're looking for a staff member, I have a wider base to pull from because of us all being tied together, having the same DNA. We might be able to find somebody in-house that's just like, I'll go to Vandalia and like, I want to do this. So I'll go to Vandalia and do this. Uh, so that's another benef- advantage that I, I've had here at, at my yeah. campus. Absolutely. What, what, give me two disadvantages. Two disadvantages. 
I mean, I feel like we've talked about several of those already. Yeah, it might just be refreshing and just quickly stating it, maybe. Yeah, just some of the tension that you have to manage of, oh, they want to do this huge program and they want it to roll out to all of the campuses, but I know that I'm going to have three people sign up. Yeah. That is a constant tension that I'm managing. So like uh, the newcomers class or something like that, yep. you know, they'll have 25 people at their newcomers class, which we're changing all that, how that works anyway, but this <laughs> has just been a past struggle. Yeah. Um, the newcomers class and I'll have a family sign up. So then yep. I'm sitting there and I'm like, guys, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take them out to lunch and work through this material rather than rather than trying to sit down let's have a class i'm lecturing yep. anybody have questions yep. either of you have questions <laughs> you know like i'm just not going to do that you know yeah. uh so constantly having to figure out some of that sort of stuff my, um, my lead pastors consist so because and they probably are like yeah take them out to lunch like obviously uh that would make sense right i'm guessing yeah. that yeah so my lead pastor even say he's like I, i'm not looking for you to replicate because i'm trying to follow the rules right i'm not looking yeah. for you to to replicate the exact details of what we're doing. I'm looking for you to replicate the heartbeat of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's exactly what you have to do. And we, we used an analogy of tractors. So, okay. you know, if you have a huge field that you're trying to farm, you buy a really big tractor, a four wheel drive tractor. It can pull a much larger tool, much larger implement behind it. Yep. You can get that field knocked out in a quicker time. When you have a much smaller field, You've got a much smaller tractor, much smaller tools, and that's okay. Yeah. So the question is not, because sometimes as multi-site, you can, when you're only working in one size field and all you know is that one size of tool, that one size of tractor, you just want to take that same tool and just move it over to another field and make it work. And sometimes you have to look at it and go, how do we retool this? What are we actually trying to accomplish? Like your lead pastor said, what is the heart of this thing? What are we actually trying to do? And what's the best way to do that in this setting? Yep. And so sometimes it looks different and you've got to be okay with that. Um, another tension that can be interesting is sometimes the people that work underneath me in a multi-site, now they have two, sometimes three bosses. Mm -hmm. So our church is small enough that people need to wear multiple hats. Yeah. So now they're not only talking to me as the campus pastor, but they're also talking to, let's say, let's say my kid's coordinator. She's also talking to the kid's leader, team lead over at the Effingham campus. Yep. And who gets to make that call? Well, you have to really keep some clear lines of communication all three ways or things get lost and complicated really, really fast. So I need to stay on the same page as the Kim's kids team lead. I also need to be talking with my kid's coordinator the entire time and they need to be talking with each other. So all three levels of that triangle need to be going all the time or things get lost and confused really, really fast. I'll, and I'll so, just, we have some rules of engagement there where we expect, so our, so if it's my kids director and the Edwardsville kids director, they can sit in a room, they can come to a conclusion, but if there is tension where it's like, this isn't gonna work in our location, they are allowed to say, like, this is just rules of engagement. You have permission to say this. They're allowed to say, I'm uncomfortable with the decision that we're landing on. It, and if they, like, if they can't, if it's just not getting to a place of moving forward, I'm uncomfortable with, so I'm going to have to take this up a level to my campus pastor. And then so, they, 
So what that's telling me, and we always use the terms of dotted and dashed line or dotted yep. and solid lines. Yep. So it sounds to me like there's a solid line to you. You have kind yep. of ultimate decision-making authority, um, but there is a dashed line to the content level leader or. Yes. And so. so, and so that is, and a lot of churches land either way. Cause in yep. our research, we've seen that go either way where the campus pastor has the dashed line and the area of authority lands over at the central staff. Um, so with honestly, that, though, in my mind, Tim, this yeah. is where I've landed on it after yeah. seven years, because we've tried both ways. We've gone one way, then gone back, then gone the other way. And each of them have advantages and disadvantages. The advantage of having the solid line to the campus pastor is that you know the location, and honestly, you sometimes know the person better as well, that staff <laughs> member or even that volunteer leader. It doesn't have to be paid staff. So with that. You know that person better because you're going to church with them every week. Yeah. So you with, see them on a weekly basis. So true. And so you just know them better, and so sometimes you're better qualified to make that decision. But then there are other times where they're coming and they're talking to me about stuff, and I'm like, I don't know the first thing about second grade ministry. Yeah. You need to talk to the person over at Central. And so then it's like, then there's times where it's like, no, that decision would be better made. And so we've seen both. And yep. I honestly, again, this is me showing uh, my inadequacy in some areas. I can't remember where we decided where the dashed and the dotted lines <laughs> go right now. I should probably know that. And again, well, we talked about it at Infinitum. Yeah. Switched so many times that I really can't remember. Where I've landed with things is communicate, 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 because uh, if there's something that's just off and they're saying, hey, Jonathan, I'm not sure about this, you can bet I'm going to be going and I'm going to be talking to Effingham about it just to make sure we all get on the same page. Like clarity is so important to me and it has to be that way. At least that's, that's the way I lead. So it, when it comes up to me, so yes, I am the, I am the, uh, that I am the line. Uh, not the dot. Um, but when it comes to me, I, I actually don't get to make the decision. When it comes to me, I have to go have a conversation with the kids director in Edwardsville and go, hey, help me understand right. this. And it may just be somebody else entering into the conversation. Actually, they're like, oh, because they heard it differently or they heard a different sure. perspective. And if it yeah. doesn't happen there, I'm like, and then I have to go, hey, I need to take this up a level to your supervisor and we got to, because this isn't like, we're, we're not going to land here. So it just keeps going up until, I mean, if it really happened, it would just be a lead pastor going, we're doing this. Uh, but we, I can't remember one time where we landed there. Usually if it comes to me, I'm just like, yeah. I get why you're saying that this is not worth fighting about. Just do it. And take good notes so that you can go back and go, it didn't work because of this, or it, yep. it worked, but it's because I did this. Um, yes. So just take good notes. So yeah, yep. let me see. 100%. So those, that's probably my advantages and disadvantages. Honestly, I, I haven't spent a lot of time in this box, but one, you know, I'm not sure that I would want to, jump from a campus pastor role to being just the lead pastor of a small church. Like there is, like I go talk to those guys over lunch and I hear them talk and I'm like, and cause they, here's another huge advantage. Let me give you another huge advantage. Okay. I get to blame stuff on the central campus <laughs> all the time. I can, 
they someone says oh this is this is silly this is and it's like this is what we no, i i don't actually do that. i know, you I know. What i'm saying like, yeah yeah i'm not shouldering that responsibility of leadership by myself that's a better way of saying it i really work hard to not duck and let a bullet hit them i really don't like i don't want to be on a team with that kind of person and so i don't i am not that kind of person but i there have I been don't have to carry that weight by myself yeah. and there have been times you know we uh we've been through a lot over the last couple of years even just personally with the foster care system we have a foster yeah. child living in our home and uh and so we've been through an awful lot there and i don't know that i could have led a small church by myself and dealt with that at the same time yeah. i got to go sit in some leadership meetings and just go guys I'm drained. Like I'm just I, in just breakdown weeping at times. And they're some of my best friends to help pull me back up and encourage me in the Lord. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I've, I've said all along, I feel like God called me to this church, mm-hmm. not to ministry. Like he does some people, <laughs> if that makes sense. I'm not yeah. criticizing anybody else. This yeah. is my story. Like if this were to, for some reason, stop, I'm not sure I'd be jumping back into ministry with another church right away yeah. or at all. I'd, I'd be probably running back to computers, but anyway. At least until your wife was like, hey, I just feel like something's like something. <laughs> right. I feel like God's telling me to get ready. When, when, if she would ever say that to me again, I would be very nervous. Oh, yeah. No. Very scared. <laughs> so I yeah. agree. I also agree that there is the collaboration and team the team aspect is huge. You you don't feel all the weight. Uh there there had just going back to the communication and stuff, there have been moments where I I was gonna go have to inform of a decision that I was like, my people are gonna like hate this. Like they're yeah. gonna feel like we didn't think about them at all. And I was like, I just need you to understand. They're going to know I'm not making this decision. Like, it's not going to, they're going to be like, yeah, Tim didn't make this. So <laughs> I'm I'm just going to let them know who made the decision because it will actually benefit us overall that they, right. fe- they feel like they have a, um, a compassion. Yeah, there's a line to be walked there. You don't yeah. want to be standing on the stage saying, this is what we're going to do. And I think it's a fabulous idea yeah. when, you, when you don't. It's like, hey, um, we're going to try this route. Um, right. I understand. I know who you guys are. You know you know me. But we are going to head this direction. And so mm-hmm. they, they feel the tension within me of trying to shepherd them as well as follow my leaders. And then there's other times where they've gone like, oh, did, you know, did, you know, whoever from the other campus decide this? They're like, nope, that was, my de- that was actually my decision. And, right. And they're like, oh. And I'm just like, yep, I made that one. So... Uh, there's other times where I own it and they don't get blamed at all. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. You just, you're just, you're just the bridge between two very different groups of people. Yep. And that's always going to be. I don't care what organization you're in. That's not just ministry. You're all. There's always going to be tension there. Yep. Between upper management and and the guy on the floor, like there's always going to be tension. So, yep. yeah, you just got to carry that and. And remember, it's about Jesus. It's so easy to get your ego wrapped up into things. And it's so easy to get, you know, wound up about this or that. And it's like, we, the church is a group of people 
that is gathered together to show their love for Jesus and to love each other through Jesus. Let's remember that, guys. Let's remember that's what we're about. So we're not going to, you know, that defines who we are. That defines how we behave. Let's keep moving that direction. Unity in the love for one another and pursuing after Jesus because we love him. Yeah, it does. It does cause a lot of tensions to go away when you just refocus. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. let's shift gears a little bit. What's one okay. What's one tool or lesson that you've learned over the years that you wish you might have had seven years ago from the beginning? Oh man, that one's easy. That one's so easy. I and I could talk about this for another hour, uh, but for me, a huge thing was when I realized that I need to focus on obedience and not results <laughs> results are results are to be measured results are to be used as you make decisions and all of these other sorts of things but it was a huge relief for me when i finally realized okay god called me to do this he called me to speak truth to people he called me to love them he called me to lead them, but I'm actually powerless to change anybody's life. I wish I had understood that jumping into ministry because I thought I was called into ministry to change people's lives, but turns out that's actually work of the Holy Spirit, not Jonathan Brocious. Yeah. And so I wish I had understood that a long time ago. And if that's still a tension that I'm always trying to figure out in my head. So you know, you have a congregation member hit the rails or make a stupid decision. And you're constantly asking as their shepherd, and this isn't just a campus pastor thing. I think this is just a shepherding thing. You're constantly asking, what's my role now? What's my responsibility now? What do I say? What do I not say? What does wisdom say? What does love say? You're constantly evaluating all of that. And, um, but once you realize, man, that person is responsible for their own relationship with God. God and them are having their own conversations. So when they make a stupid decision, it's not Jonathan's responsibility to fix it. Now, Jonathan does have, Jonathan's responsibility is to love them well and to speak the truth in that love. If I've done that, that that's helped me so much because because those are the things that keep me up at night and i'm sure they're the things that keep every pastor up at night yeah. and uh you know watching marriages fall apart is not fun watching kids suffer because their parents are just making stupid decisions i hate that part of my job honestly yeah. i hate watching people suffer unnecessarily when they're just not listening to god's word um, that's, that's rough, but I've had to learn. And then that applies that, that, that also applies to, uh, to other parts of my ministry as well. So like, you know, our, my church has stayed the same size for, well, now we launched and then we went through COVID and then, I mean, there, you, you know, it's just, plus we're the first multi-site church in this town. There's, yep. there's a lot going on here yep. and I'm not trying to make excuses, but my church has stayed the same size for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, 
Are you willing to share what size it's at right now? Sure, sure. We run probably um, anywhere between 70 and 90 ad adults and students in the auditorium. And then there's probably about a third to a half of that um, in volunteers and kids in the kids ministry areas. So that's babies through fifth grade. So can I just say you have like 15% of your county? In <laughs> no, 15% of my county would be 1,500 people. What? So, I think you said 9,000. Yeah, 9,000. So if you go 10,000. That'd be 100. Or is that, yeah, right? No, no, no. no. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a camp. Hey, I'm not in charge of the budget, so don't worry, everybody. <laughs> right. Don't 1%. 1%, right? Giving was up by 15%. No, I got to tease <laughs> you a little bit. We had a dollar and a half more come in. So 2% of your county. Yeah. Which is yeah. still insane. Yeah. I mean, there's a, and, and there's a, but what I've learned to focus on, I actually told the, uh, the administrative assistant over in Effingham that tallies up all the numbers for everything every week and sends out a spreadsheet with all of the numbers, whether it's offering or attendance numbers or whatever. Um, I told her several years ago, I said, stop sending me those numbers. There's enough people in this organization that will tell me if there's a problem that I need yep. to deal with, but I am living and dying by these numbers too much. So if a good number came that week, I felt really good about myself and I felt like I was a winner. And then if a bad number came in that week, I felt like I was a complete loser. And that, that fear of failure is such a big driver for me. And that's a, that's a toxicity in my own soul that I'm always wrestling with and always working on. Um, but I finally realized, no, I'm a child of God. Yep. And I am a son of the King. And I am being obedient to what he's called me to do. And those numbers are not actually a reflection of me or my self-worth. They do say something. And I'm not one of these people that sits there and goes, you shouldn't ever measure attendance. Yeah, That's not true. I mean, if you pull an event off and nobody comes, you probably need to readjust what you're doing. Like we need to, it's information that can be used to make decisions, yeah. but we need to leave it in that role and not let it ever say anything about who we are about what God is doing or, or about our mission or vision or our values. Those yeah. are driven by the word of God and the Holy spirit, not by numbers. And so I do want to capture a huge one for me. Yeah. I do want to capture real quick though, that you're the, you're the one that was putting that pressure on yourself. Your supervisor. 100%. Yeah. Your supervisors were like, dude, we don't like, you're fine. Like, yeah. yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that point of clarity. Yes. I was under, I was not under pressure from the central campus. Like, dude, you got to get your Sunday service up to X. Nobody, nobody has ever had that conversation with me once, which I'm very thankful for. This was just, I'm a competitive person. You put a number <laughs> on it and I'm going to start trying to figure out how to win that thing so that's exactly because i feel like it says something about me i have to win the game to prove that i'm a good yeah. that i'm worthwhile you know so and that's just the attitude i was bringing to it and it's sick and it's toxic and it's not from god and i would say that it's showing the health of your church too like i live in that world too where nobody's coming to me going like hey tim you know we really need to get up to this number of kids and this number of you know nobody's coming to me doing that in fact, I just had a conversation with my lead pastor where he told me how much we had grown this last year. I was like, whoa, that much? Like, I didn't even know that. Uh, right. And so, 
uh he was even like he was trying to encourage me like your things are really going well um and and it shows the sign of a healthy church where people are focused on what jesus is doing more than they're focused on like numbers that were accruing yes yeah. yeah and that was that was a hard thing for me to get to that was a that was a journey to where i mean it was right before covid my wife She's a Scribe D subscriber. I don't know if you use that at all. It's like ebooks and audiobooks. Yeah. It's like Netflix for books. Anyway, so she's always listening to audiobooks on there while she's doing stuff. And she stumbled across uh, Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. Mm-hmm. Huge book. Changed how I thought about ministry completely. Changed it because before that, I'd been very into the the seeker sensitive model. Okay, put these classes in to route these people down your your engagement pathway and all this, you know, assimilate them this way and listening to all those podcasts, reading all those books. And then Francis Chan just kind of goes, what the heck are we doing? (laughs) You know, he, he opens that book and he's just like, what in the world is this? What does scripture say the church is supposed to be? Why are we worried about building bigger, 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 bigger? And uh, I mean, obviously we still have a Sunday morning service. This church owns a building. I'm sitting in it right now. (laughs) Like, I mean, I, th- I think it's the heart of the matter that actually yep. matters on that. And I learned so much from that book, but I hated it at first. You know how, when you read something challenging and convicting, you just want to throw it in the garbage. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to do with that book. And so then I, uh, then COVID happened and that challenged everybody's assumptions about church and what we're supposed to be doing. And all of the goalposts that we'd been shooting for, for a really long time, we're now just no longer even on the table. Yep. We can't count attendance when you don't have a Sunday morning service. <laughs> you know, So that was, that really started not just, I mean, I was already starting to try to figure this out just because I was in a place where I was trying to grow this church bigger, 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 and it just wasn't happening. And I was feeling like a massive failure and trying to figure it out even personally. And then Francis Chan, I learned so much from that book and really started reevaluating what I think about all of these things. And then COVID, I really feel like God has been moving in our church in a big way because then COVID happened, plus several other leaders in our church were also starting to try to ask, what are we, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Are we just trying to build the biggest possible thing that we can and entertain people the entire time? Or what are we really trying to do? And we, we, we had to make those decisions too, man. Like, did you yeah. guys, did you land somewhere? I can tell you where we landed, but did you land somewhere on like a focal point or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are in the midst of, and I, yeah, I feel like we could talk for a long time about this. We revamped we'll have you back on. <laughs> yeah. We can have you back on to talk through the philosophy ministry for sure. So give yeah. us, give us like a bullet point or a quick, like, you can leave us hungry for more but give us something i'd say two things i'd say two things number one we are no longer interested in just creating consumers of gospel content so it used to be that if your butt was in our seat that was a win and that is no longer the case that is no longer the case for new hope church so we are instead much more interested in challenging you to live out your God-given calling and mission, even if that means that your butt is no longer in our seats. Yep. 
even if that means your tithe dollars are no longer in our plate, that is what we are focused on and that is what we're driving towards. Yeah, where we landed, uh, and this would be a fun conversation, we'll have to do this uh, here in a few months maybe, but yeah, where we landed was <clears throat> we want to have, uh, we want to provide as much as we can. We want to provide transcendent moments with God for people. And so in every space that we are thinking through, the question that I, I'm asking on my campus is, how did we allow a moment of God to happen with that space? Did, did mm -hmm. a person have an opportunity to have a moment with God there? And sure, we can have a lot of fun to have moments with God, and we can do a lot of really cool and even entertaining things to have a moment with God. But the focal point, if we landed and, and nobody had a thought about how did we have a moment with God there, we failed, even if it felt like we succeeded. Yeah. Yep. The other thing that we kind of uh, started measuring was we really want to start looking for engaging our success based on movement. Mm. So is the person, because everybody has the next step that they can take with God, right? It's yeah. not just salvations. It's not just baptisms. It's not just how many people got saved, how many people raised their hands, how many people went to an altar call. Yep. Tim, you have you have a next step that you need to take with God. Yep. I have a next step that I need to take with God. Yep. None of us have arrived. Nope. None of us are are perfectly like Jesus yet. Nope. So all of us have more sin that we need to uproot in our lives. All of us have more steps of obedience that we need to take in our lives. What are the stories of people doing that? Yep. And that is our new metric for success as our as a church. Not just and and we want to make disciples, you know, that live out the Great Commission, but we don't want to just make disciples. We want to make disciples that are now for the sake of others, because that's a true measure of discipleship. It's easy enough for me to say, OK, I'm going to take this new guy that just showed up at my church. His name's Tim Wyrock, and I'm going to start discipling him and I'm going to pour myself into him. And if that's where it ends, then it was a failure because God has a God given mission for Tim also. And mm -hmm. Tim needs to grow to a certain point and then start ministering. Like, and it's pretty quick. It's yeah. pretty fast. Yeah. He needs to be making disciples now. And when he's making disciples, he's making disciples for the sake of others. Now, the problem with all of that is it's really hard to measure. And it's really hard to gauge. Uh, we're working on that. We're working on figuring out how to, how to do that. Um, but that's not our main focus. It's, it's more, how do we just live this out? And that's where I'm at. Again, it comes back to what we started this part of the conversation i'm not focused on results anymore i'm focused on obedience have i done what god's asked me to do what really kind of turned that light bulb on for me was i looked at uh the prophet jeremiah you know they call him the weeping prophet right mm -hmm. and this poor guy like you read the book of jeremiah and god you're just sitting there and you're going god why in the world did you make this guy do this <laughs> you know the story that sticks out in my mind is where he's got to go cook food over human dung. <laughs> it, it's just this wacky story. And Jeremiah comes back to God and he goes, God, I have a problem with this. And you're expecting him to just throw a fit over trying to, you know, use human dung as fuel for the fire. He's like, I really don't want to burn human poop to cook my food. And he goes, could I just at least use cow dung instead so that it's not as unclean like and you're like that's where jeremiah like that was the thing jeremiah <laughs> wanted to talk to god about okay yeah. so like did you just see the radical obedience yeah. of jeremiah 
Yeah, that's what I would and say. Nobody got saved, Tim. Nobody yeah. changed their lives. Nobody, like the nation of Israel, still fell apart. The king didn't listen. Nobody's listening. He's just thrown in a cistern for like forever. You know, all this stuff that he goes through. And so you have to look with an eternal perspective because in this world, Jeremiah was a complete failure. No results. Nobody in his church. No books. Well, there is a book written with Jeremiah's name on it. But, yeah. you know, like it, the publishers weren't clamoring for him in his day. Yeah. yeah I don't know that he was on any podcasts. I but mean, eternally. The, the king literally burnt his book. <laughs> right. Right. You know, but the but eternally, I think God is thrilled with Jeremiah. Yeah. I think he's one of the heroes of the faith. And so it's like, honestly, I, the American church is in a very interesting place because we are so wealthy. We are so comfortable. Jesus is a take it or leave it commodity in our culture. You know, you can live a pretty happy, fulfilled, rich life without Jesus. It's not like people are desperate for Jesus because they're dying. They're being, they're completely falling apart like that's just not where our culture is like it is in other parts of the world yeah. and in other parts of history so the desperation for jesus is not there but these are still people that god loves and our job is to preach the gospel to them and love them and that's where i'm at and it's like you know what i'm going to keep doing that and go from there well man what are one or two books that uh, you would encourage other people to read or, or go get or listen to on whatever audible or whatever they listen to sure um i gotta be honest i'm pretty terrible about keeping up on ministry books and ministry uh, uh, I, I don't care i don't care about ministry books i care oh, okay. just anything i don't care what it is anything anything okay uh well like i said letters to the church by francis chan yep. huge um i have really fallen in love with uh tim Mackey's bible project stuff Okay. Mm -hmm. So there is a kind of a little hidden part of his material. Like everybody knows those Bible overview videos that he's got yeah. on YouTube, right? Yeah. And those are really cool. But then if you go to, I think it's bibleproject.com slash classroom. Okay. He actually has college level courses or postgraduate level courses available online for free. Okay. Super good because I don't have a seminary degree. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I just went. I I do have a Bible minor from Cedarville, but I studied radio and audio video production, and then Van went and ruined my life by asking me to be a pastor. So I do not. I did not study for this. I don't have the seminary degree or anything like that. And so, um, those courses were really helpful to me. I've taken two of them now. Super okay. helpful to me for uh, just learning more about how the Bible was written and constructed and all of this. And I grew up in church. I've heard a lot about, I've read the Bible multiple times, like, but he had brought some perspective that was really super cool. Helped me understand some things that I hadn't understood before. Oh, man. Um, I'm a huge sci-fi fantasy nut. I love yeah. Brandon Sanderson's stuff. So do I. I love I, his stuff so much. I just finished the Mistborn series trilogy. Yeah, so I don't know if you've read that yet or not, but I just oh, finished fantastic. that. That's what got me started. At. Okay. No, I started on uh, the Stormlight Archives. Yeah. We're nerding out right now. Sorry, yeah, everyone. We are. Yeah. It's not Tim or Jonathan in this moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I started on the Stormlight Archives, and then I went to Mistborn, and 
Now, did you read the earlier medieval stuff or did you read the later like Western type stuff? I read the Mistborn, original Mistborn trilogy. So yep. um, Mistborn, The Well of Ascension and Hero of Ages. And then I did read the secret history where he brings he brings a certain character back. I almost I almost spoiled it for everybody, but he, right. brings, a, he brings a certain character back. Yeah. Um, if you yeah, you got to read. Uh, cannot remember the name of it but it's really interesting he takes about four books okay. and takes that whole idea of mistborn and you know you ingest metals and burn yep. them to do different powers and all that sort of stuff he yep. takes that whole magic system that whole world and transports it about a thousand years later okay and so now it's like an 1800s western stagecoaches and shotguns type setting okay which is super fun it's okay. it's so it's so interesting because you always read fantasy type stuff like this and they always set it in a medieval setting there's always yeah. castles there's always yeah. the maiden in distress there's always a dragon and uh he's like why don't i break that entire idea and it's super good yeah so, so if you if you want some fun like just reading for fun it's a those are two good series even if you don't read the whole stormlight archive if you simply read the way of kings you will feel like you got your money's worth. It is oh, yeah. fantastic. It was uh, it was funny because I got started on that just because I was looking for cheap books for my Kindle, yep. you know? Yep. And I think they had it listed for 99 cents or $1.99 yeah, or something. They always put that one cheap because they know they'll hook you. <laughs> and so, and it's and it's definitely the gateway drug because I, I, the, my decision-making on that book was simply, wow, it's 1,200 pages and only $2? That's like yep. a lot of that'll keep me busy for a while and I'm only spending $2. So yeah. I went and I bought that book and now I've spent a lot of money on Brandon Sanderson stuff. Yep. So it worked. It's, it they, they got me. I have them all. I'm, I'm slowly getting them all. Uh, <laughs> as we kind of enter time here, what's a word of encouragement you can give to people? So our goal is to um, uh, educate those thinking about jumping into ministry, equip those that are in. We've done a lot of that today. What about... Um, encouraging those that might they just maybe just discouraged ready to jump out they haven't reached the finish line and they just are mm. like i think i'm just done uh what word do you have for them yeah i'm actually going to share from uh philippians chapter one i love the book of philippians it's one of my one of my favorites it is paul's um, church that was paul's church man he loved them oh, so good um I actually just talked about this on a on a little podcast thing that I'm doing here, but remind in verse twenty. I do want to talk about that too before we go. So remind me if I forget. Okay, to get yeah, to sure. It. Yeah. Sure. Um so it's just kind of fresh on my mind, but I do yeah. want to share from that. I've been through I've been through a lot in my life, whether it's been my mother in law's cancer, whether it's been um this foster care thing, I can't get into that too much in a yep. public forum, but whether it's the foster care thing that I've been dealing with for the last two and a half years, of course, there's been a significant, again, again, that's the, that's the tough thing about ministry. You can't always share a lot of things very publicly, mm -hmm. um, but just some tough things, even here at the church, heartbreak with people. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would probably say, well, you've only been in ministry seven years. So it's almost a lifetime. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like I, 
I'm, I'm like, I'm glad we did this podcast now because I feel like if I'm in ministry much longer, I might not have very much knowledge left, you know, <laughs> like the longer I'm in it, the less I know. So I'm glad we got it now so we could capture it. But yeah. um, I've really, I've really taken a lot of encouragement from the words of Paul in Philippians where he says, my confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. So good. Yeah. So good. Because what you realize is sometimes when we're discouraged, you have to ask what goal has been blocked that is making me discouraged? What result was I shooting for that has now been denied me? And that's the cause of my frustration. And that's the cause of my discouragement. And um, Paul has a very different goal than I have had for a significant portion of my life. Because Paul's goal is simply the glory of Christ. Yeah. Where he says, Christ will be exalted in my body. Mm-hmm. Like the reason we exist, the reason we are still sucking air right now is because somehow God is glorified through that. And that happens no matter what is going on around us. Mm. You know, we are in, uh, you have to get to the spot where you're like, I'm willing to obey no matter what happens. Mm. You know, we got into this, into this foster care thing. And again, I have to, I have to be careful with my yeah, words yeah, here. Absolutely. Um, but we're in this thing right now and we don't know what the future holds for these kids. We don't, I have, I can't guarantee that this isn't even going to leave my biological children unimpacted, but I know that God called me to do it. Again, that was another one of those things where I felt like God was telling me to get ready for like six months before all of a sudden this thing just falls in our lap. And so I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, there's risk here. There's significant heartache here. There's a lot of hardship here. There's a lot of difficulty here. And I think last about a year and a half ago, I was clinically depressed. Like, I there was just no spark left in life. Honestly, mm-hmm. I remember Johanna arranged for me and her to get away to St. Louis for uh, a couple days. And we had some friends that were crazy enough to decide to watch all <laughs> five of our kids. And like, it was so, and I remember walking around the streets of St. Louis going, I should be so happy right now. Like I'm with this girl that I love I am away from all responsibilities. We can do whatever we want. We're even just like renting those little like electric scooters and buzzing all over St. Louis. I'm like, this should be the most fun thing ever. And I'm just not feeling anything. Like I'm not sad and I'm not happy. I'm just here. And, uh, but realizing I'm not going to stop because Christ has called me to this, and my goal is for him to be glorified, not for my own happiness, not for my own comfort, not for what I need to see to be happy. And I went to counseling, and I got therapy, and that helped a ton, 
and then honestly just waiting longer and just continuing to be patient and wait for God to answer some prayers has been huge. And I'm in a much better place now, but, um, that's, that's where I'm and, and building a good support system around you. Like I said, there were times I was in my leader's office, just like, should I quit? Like, I'm not even sure I'm a good pastor right now to these people, you know, and he's, and he kept me encouraged. And so there was, there's a lot of that too, but I feel like I'm all over the place, but that's what I'd say. Yeah. I've been through that season as well. And I would say, uh, if you're in that season, know that there's another side, you're hearing it from both of us. Uh, there is, there is another side to that season. Um, and Jesus loves you. God cares about it. It is for his glory and he will bring things through for his glory. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your podcast because you do have one as well. I want people to, it's really cool. I've listened to a lot of episodes, but talk a little bit about it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this is part of my results, uh, or obedience, not results thing. I finally got to the point where I'm like, okay, my job is to be obedient, not to try to guarantee results here at the church, but I still really want results. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And my thinking was pretty simple. It was like, well, if I can't make results, I might as well be talking to the person who can, and that's God. So I really tried to start focusing on. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm serious. That's just that's just how my brain works. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it, it's a great. You know, I love how it went. <laughs> I love how you navigated that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really started trying to double down on prayer. And I'll be honest, tried to start some prayer gatherings here at the church and they did not go super well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, people are busy and trying to get people together at a, on a morning to pray was, was difficult. And that was really disappointing for me also. But again, I'm like, okay, obedience, not results. I'm going to keep praying. How can I encourage people to pray? And so I wound up, it was... Uh, January of last year, I started a blog um, using Substack. So I love Substack. Substack is awesome. But um, it's a daily email blog thing. And I did it daily for a good long time uh, called Pray Together. And so you can find it at praytogether.substack.com. And uh, every weekday, I would send out a new little post. It was probably, I don't know, 700 to 1,000 words, about five minutes of reading time. And we worked our way all the way through the book of Psalms. Uh, now I'm, I'm in Philippians now just because I love Philippians so much. And I just usually try to tell kind of a little story, a little teaching from it, a prayer that people can pray is kind of a starter prayer for themselves, and then some questions to think about. Yeah, and you- and uh, the, at the beginning of this year, I started just recording that, kind of an audio version of that. and tagging that into the blog so people can either read it or listen to it, whichever way is more convenient to them. So if they go to uh, probably the easiest way for them to find it, Tim, is to just go to our church's website because it's there. Okay. So if they go to newhopenow.cc, that's our church website, newhopenow.cc, you can see the podcasts that we do on there and pray together is one of those. Um, You can search for it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and find it that way. And, uh, or go to praytogether.substack.com. So there's, of course, it's the internet. There's 17 ways to get to anything, but yeah. those are those are the ways. And you, uh, it is shorter. So you do some interviews every once in a while, but it is short. It really is like five to ten minutes. It's a, yep. it, it's like it would be like a, 
uh, a bullet point of a message on a weekend. So like it's really quick. You get to the point. It, so if you want something that's just quick hitting and that, that helps you throughout the day, go check that podcast out. It's really worthwhile. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, but, yeah, that's that's and that's been received pretty well. So that's been fun. Um, and uh, just trying to get people to pray, man, because God's got to do the work. If we want to see the kingdom come, which the kingdom is coming. Yep. It's got to be God that does it. It's got to be God that does it. We are simply instruments and tools in his hand. And let's go from there. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you giving up your time and being here today. Thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for this opportunity. It's been fun. It's always fun talking with you. Yeah, yeah. And we covered a lot of ground. So <laughs> looking <laughs> we forward. We never don't. Yeah, I know. Looking forward to having you back on where we can cover more ground in a different place. Sounds good, buddy. All right. See you, man. See ya. Don't you just appreciate that guy's heart? Like he has such a passion for Jesus, such a passion for the church, such a passion for people to follow Jesus. Wasn't looking to become a, a campus pastor. And yet, he found himself doing it. He knew he knew it was just God leading his way. I think his wife knew before him, and uh, he jumped in. And I, I'm so glad he did because I have he and I uh, are able to walk together, bounce some things off of each other because we have a similar position, and it's really weird. And so I'm really glad that he's in my life, and I get to bounce some things off of him. That it's just hard to bounce off of other people. He does have a podcast. Uh, it is called Pray Together. And uh, I, I'll put all the links in the descriptions and uh, all that in uh, the down below in the description or in the um, notes down below if you're in one of the podcasts. So check all of that out. He's a, he's an incredible guy. You should listen to his podcast. Uh, it's it's really easy nuggets to consume if you just wanted to do it every day. It's like five to ten minutes uh, right before work. It's a great thing as you uh, head into the doors of your workplace. Hope you enjoyed it. We are so glad uh, that you came to join us. Like, subscribe, uh, follow, do all the things, write a review. Helps us out, get the word out there to other people so that they can uh, catch a little bit of this and be equipped and encouraged uh, and educated and empowered as well. Uh, See you next time.